Time to go ahead and get started with class. I want to welcome everybody here this morning. I guess happy Easter. <laughs> so I think we might have some visitors this morning. I know we've got several that are still in Nashville, so we want to think about them as they're traveling back today. Haven't heard how all that went last night. Hi, Lee. <laughs> all right. So, see, we have some visitors, although I know she's not much of a visitor. She grew up here, I believe. So, so I also have my parents here this morning. So, Ralph and Judy Warren right there sitting by Stacy. So, so, we've got quite a, quite a few people here that aren't usual here. So, all right, we are ready for chapter 10 of 1 Samuel. I have to apologize to Hiram. I know he thought we'd get through 1st and 2nd Samuel this quarter, but... I don't think that's going to happen. So, <laughs> so Daryl and I kind of chapter by chapter, people. I'm afraid. So, so, but we'll we'll get through quite a bit. We we ought to finish First Samuel anyway. So, all right, chapter ten. And I do like to read as I go. I hope that's okay. But the the words more important than anything I've got to say. So, we'll start chapter ten, verse one of First Samuel. If you, not there. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you, shall, you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. Now, this is more of a private anointing. There will, there will be another ceremony later. To make, to make known to all Israel that, that Saul has been chosen king. But this is a, a private thing. Uh, anointing, anointed, what does that even mean? Does anybody know? <laughs> I looked up the definition. It's just to authorize or set apart a person for a particular work or service. So he's being set apart for something very specific, in this case, to be king of Israel. All right, Verse 2, when you depart from me today, you will meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, the donkeys that you went to seek are found. If you remember, he's been out looking for his donkeys. and uh, He was worried they were gone so long that his father would start worrying about him and not the donkeys. But anyway, the donkeys that you went to seek are found. And now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you, saying, what shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on from there farther and come to the oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and will give you two loaves of bread, which you shall accept from their hand. After that, you shall come to Gibeath Elohim, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now when these signs meet you, do you do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Then go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I am coming to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. Uh, that's a lot of very specific signs. <laughs> and these signs were really for Saul. Uh, you know, he, he needed to be convinced he had actually been chosen king. And 
all these very specific signs actually come to pass, and uh, because Samuel predicts them beforehand, this convinces Saul that this is really what, what's happening, that he is to become, to become king. Uh, let's just read verse 9 and stop. When he turned his back to leave, Samuel, uh, to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart, and all these signs came to pass that day. God gave him another heart. Literally, it's God changed him from another heart. What is that? <laughs> what do you think that means in this context, in this verse? And God gave him another heart. Another way of thinking. Okay. I'm sorry? Purpose. Gave his heart purpose. I've got two or three things I wrote down here. Um, one possibility God prepared Saul for the kingship by having the Holy Spirit come upon him. That's a possibility of what that meant. Um, giving call, uh, Saul courage and strength, helping him overcome his hesitancy. He seems to be a little hesitant about all this, which I don't blame him. Uh, could just mean that you know Saul's attitudes before this and his behaviors didn't really reflect uh, you know a genuine spiritual life, possibly. Uh, maybe he's changing his heart here. Um, possibilities. Anything else? Anybody want to add to any of that? Yes. Yeah. To do God's word yeah. or work. Work. To do God's work. Which means he wasn't necessarily doing that before. Because <laughs> he said he's change, changing his heart. So maybe his heart needed changing to do this work. <laughs> okay. Any other Thoughts before we move on? All right, pick back up in 10. When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And a man of the place answered, And who is their father? Therefore, it became a proverb, is Saul also among the prophets? Uh, so Saul prophesying with the prophets was apparently shocking to anyone who knew him before. This was very uh, out of character that he would be amongst prophets, be classified in that way. Uh, I guess it would be. <laughs> of course, we don't quite understand that today. We don't see that just in the context. All right, let's move on. Chapter, uh, verse 13, when he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. Saul's uncle said to him and to his servant, where did you go? And he said, to see the donkey, to seek the donkeys. And when we saw that they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. And Samuel's uncle said, please tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found, but about the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. So Saul didn't tell his uncle about becoming king. Why do you think he didn't tell him? Because <laughs> what? He wouldn't believe, wouldn't believe him? That's a very real possibility. Um, could be a sign of humility. Now that his heart's being changed. Uh, maybe he still had lingering doubts. Who me? You know, That's the way I would feel. Of course, I'm not... You know, shoulders above everyone else. I'm below the shoulders, so I'd really not believe it. So, so anyway, he didn't want to tell him. You know, 
like you said, maybe he wouldn't believe him. Maybe he's still doubting himself. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe it is a sign of humility. Instead of coming out and going, guess what? <laughs> Samuel says, I'm going to be king. So maybe it's that. Maybe it's all of that. I don't know. I don't know. All right, verse uh, 17. Now Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah, and he said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses, and you have said to him, Set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. So here we go. Samuel is once again reminding the people about how they've rejected God, and he was their king. You know, they didn't really need to have a human king appointed. God was their king. Reminds them how God saves them continually, but they've asked for a king. So uh, Samuel's almost washing his hands every time he gets from the people. It's like, this is on y'all. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't do any of this. I'm just doing what you said, and God told me to fulfill it. So, so he reminds them again. All right, 20. Verse 20, then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans, and the clan of the, oh, Matrites, that sounds good, was taken by Lot, and Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when when they sought him, he could not be found. So Samuel's bringing all the tribes together, which they're kind of spread out, and uh, uses this system of casting lots. So I know we've heard that before in other situations, uh, but this was to show who God had chosen as king. Um, I know we've kind of compared it to throwing dice or something like that, and it's kind of like that, but this was more of a yes-no system. <laughs> you know, like put put two people here and cast it and it fell on you. You're gone. And, you know, it just keeps going. Almost like a little bracket system, I guess. Uh, but it was more of a yes-no thing. But they had a confidence that God was behind all this and that what the outcome was, was was controlled by God. So it wasn't a chance game. This was something they, they believed in and knew God was in control of. And, of course, by the time they cast all the, the lots, uh, it comes down to reveal what, you know, Samuel and Saul already knew. Saul had been chosen king. So it did play out that way. Of all those tribes, all those people... It still came down to Saul. So God was in control of that if they needed any proof. All right, 10.22. So they inquired again of the Lord, is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Um, Why in the world did Saul hide? (laughs) A lot had fallen to him. Everyone's like, okay, this is the guy. Where is he? Is there somebody else? Because he's not here. So why do you think he hid? We're back to those same list again, aren't we? <laughs> self-doubt. Um, I actually have that written down. Self-doubt could be overwhelmed. It's like, oh, here's the moment. It's not just a thing between me and God and Samuel now. Everyone's going to know this. I'm going to be expected to do things. Uh, at, yeah. And that's what it appears in it because... Because uh, she's talking about him being humble, you know, at this point. We, we know it doesn't end up that way. But here at the beginning, you know, this may be some humility or modesty or just overwhelmed by the moment. 
what I really find interesting here is it says that God tells them where he is, and, and it doesn't say by casting lots. It actually, so I did, did God speak out loud where they heard this? I, I don't know. I don't know, but it does say. You could almost read right over that and not think about it, but it says that God told them where he was. So I found that interesting. All right, verse 23. Then they ran and took him from there, and when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, Long live the king. Um, Then Samuel told the people the rights and duties of the kingship, and he wrote them in a book and laid it up before the Lord. Then Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his home. Saul also went to his home at Gibeah, and with him went men of valor whose hearts had touched, God had touched. But some worthless fellows said, How can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present, which would have been customary. But he held his peace. So another interesting, interesting thing in 24, it says the people asked for a king, but who chose him? Not the people. God chose him. So they've asked for it. You know, all these events have set in motion because they've asked for it. But God's still in control. God's choosing your king. So that's another important point, I think, right there. And just to point out in verse 27, it says worthless fellows in, in the ESV, which is what I'm reading from. One commentary is saying that's that same phrase we read about earlier with Hannah and uh, in other chapters where it means sons of Belial. So it's not a positive thing. It's a bad thing. So these people are kind of grumbling against the choice. Maybe they knew enough about him. They didn't think he could be the king, or maybe they thought they should have been king. I don't know. But you've got a group here who are grumbling against God's choice. Yeah. Troublemakers. Well, I like that. Yeah, <laughs> troublemakers. So some troublemakers. Some some people who are going to stir it up. Uh, I assume they at least were grumbling and and being insulting towards God's chosen king. Um, but if you'll note, Saul held his peace. He didn't make an issue of it. Uh, why did he not? Well, it could be some more of what we've already said about the humility, maybe. Uh, Maybe he just didn't want to escalate things at this time. This wasn't the time to start going, all right, I'm king, off with their head, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, And maybe he decided to just earn respect with accomplishments later, you know. But this was smart. This was smart. And it's probably got to do with God leading him at this point and changing his heart like we had read earlier. So that's chapter 10. Any comments on chapter 10 before we go to chapter 11? All right. Oh. Well, and this is all new. This is a governmental transition in a way. I mean, no more judges. This is the first king. This is new to Israel. So, you know, maybe there just is. He didn't really know how to react in that situation, possibly, because uh, he didn't have those people around him yet. He will. All right, chapter 11. This one's, this chapter is kind of interesting. It's short, but. <laughs> uh, verse 1. I'm just going to read verse 1, and then we'll stop. Then Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh-Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a treaty with us and we will serve you. All right. Nahash, first of all, means snake or serpent. So this guy's not good. 
Uh, Nahash was king of the Ammonites. Do we remember the Ammonites, who they are? If you go back to Genesis chapter 19, verses 34, 38 specifically, the Ammonites were descendants of Lot. So after Simon and Gomorrah get destroyed, Lot winds up hiding out with his two daughters and to be delicate with the situation. Basically, they're afraid their line won't go on, so they get their father drunk. They lay with him and both get pregnant by him, and they each have a son. One son was Moab, and he's the father of the Moabites. The other son was Ben-Ami or Ben-Ami, and he is the father of the Ammonites. So the Ammonites go back, all the way back to Sodom and Gomorrah, basically, or the end of it. So that's who the Ammonites are. Let's read on here. But Nahash the Ammonites said to them, On this condition I will make a treaty with you, that I gouge out all your right eyes and thus bring disgrace on all Israel. Well, I'd say no real quick. (laughs) That sounds horrible. Um, The treaty conditioned upon them was to have the right eyes gouged out. So we won't overrun you and kill you all if you all submit to having your right eyes gouged out. What purpose would this serve? Well, first it would just be a humiliation and an indication to all that Israel was unable to prevent this from happening. So it's a disgrace to them. Um, and I think there may be a, a history back behind this I don't know about that uh, causes him to want to be this way. Also, if they decide to revolt later, after they submit to being their servants, a little bit hard for your soldiers to fight with your right eye missing. Um, So he's kind of also trying to prevent an uprising from later. Do you know why it was the right eye? I found a commentary on this, and I don't know if it's true or not, but it sounded good. Does anybody have an idea why the right eye, not the left eye? Well, according to this that I had read, the soldiers would hold their shields over their left eye. And so if they had no right eye and they're used to holding their shield over their left eye, they don't see anything. Didn't know that. And I think that was Josephus that I read that out of. So, you know, it's not the Bible. It doesn't say that, but it makes sense, you know. So just an interesting little tidbit. All right. So I should have kept reading right there. All right. The elders of Jabesh said to him, Give us seven days respite that we may send messengers through all the territory of Israel. Then if there is no one to save us, we will give ourselves up to you. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, they reported the matter in the ears of the people, and all the people wept aloud. Well, yeah, <laughs> I guess so. I find it interesting, though, that the person who has the power in this situation says, yeah, take your week, see if you can find anybody to, to help you out. That's some kind of arrogant confidence that they you know, weren't going to prevail over him, that he even lets them have a week to, to see if anybody will help them. So... Saul appears to, oh, wait a minute, let me read that verse before I say it. Now behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen. And Saul said, what is wrong with the people that they are weeping? So they told him the news of the men of Jabesh. So apparently Saul is still a working man at this point. He's been announced as king to everyone, but he's out plowing the fields. So I don't know if it just hasn't. I kind of wonder these men who were sowing discord and stuff, I think, if if they hadn't... uh, caused a delay in some things, you know, where people were now doubting too, like they, you know how when people want to 
sow some doubt and cause some trouble. They just whisper things here and there or cause up, you know, rebellions here and there. And so may, maybe there was more than just those few people now. Maybe it was, you know, causing a delay in things. Don't know. Don't know. Just a what if. All right. Uh, verse 6. And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. He took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hand of messengers, saying, Whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. Then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out as one man. When he mustered them at Bezek, the people of Israel were 300,000 and the men of Judah 30,000. And they said to the messengers who had come, Thus shall you say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you shall have deliverance. When the messengers came and told the men of Jabesh, they were glad. Therefore the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will give ourselves up to you. And, and they're saying that to Nahash and the Ammonites. Um, give ourselves up to you, and the next day, let me read that again. Tomorrow we will give ourselves up to you, and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. And the next day Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. There weren't even two of them together. So Saul's basically calling for an army to fight. It's trying to unify them. Uh, there is no established central government, as we had just talked about a minute ago. It's not like they had the army in reserve and get ready, let's go. They're all over the place. And uh, so he's trying to call them together as one to fight this, this enemy. Um, now, it's interesting, verse 10, where they were, the men of Jabesh were uh, talking to the Ammonites and saying that they would give themselves up they didn't really say, hey, we found some people. Maybe a little trickery here. The Ammonites, you know, they're not going to be prepared for a battle that was coming. They're thinking, yeah, now it's time because they didn't find anybody. So it might be a little, you know, they didn't say, hey, get ready for battle. They're like, okay, we're going to give ourselves up tomorrow. <laughs> Surprise. So let's go. Verse 12. Then the people said to Samuel, who is it that said, shall Saul reign over us? bring the men that they may put them to death. So there's been this big victory with, with Saul leading them into battle, which is one of the main reasons they wanted a king, right? To have a king to lead them physically into battle. And uh, they're greatly successful. And, uh, of course, it's not Saul, it's God. But uh, these men that were doubting and insulting Saul actually... Um, probably continued to sow doubt and discord among the people. Well, now the people are mad at those people because they're so enthralled with Saul and this victory. Uh, so the men who dishonored Saul by doubting he should be king, they could have been put to death right then, right then. He was the king. That could have happened, and the people wanted it. Apparently at that time they were upset. Uh, but Saul doesn't allow it. Uh, instead, what he gives glory to God. So there's that humility at the beginning we were talking about. He knows it was God, not him at this point. Uh, so Saul does have humility at the beginning of his kingship. What's kind of scary a little bit to me is how quickly the people become loyal to this one man. 
They were ready to kill fellow Israelites who had not given immediate loyalty loyalty to him before when he wasn't even known. (laughs) Uh, Human loyalties come and go, but we should trust only in God. But it's just kind of scary how quickly as humans we can just latch onto a person and, you know, almost worship them in a way, which was close here in a way, but... uh, but thankfully Saul was humble in the beginning here and he deflected that and uh, did not let anyone be put to death. So that was good. All right. Then the people said to... Oh, I just read that verse. Uh, but Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. So Saul's confirmed as king of Israel, and they're now united in this day. Israel is of one mind at this point. Uh, And this is more of a religious coronation, not a political pomp and circumstance. This is more of a religious happening here. Chapter 11 is pretty short, so anybody got a comment on chapter 11? We're just flying right through it. Okay, chapter 12, it's a little longer. Chapter 12, verse 1, And Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have obeyed your voice and all that you have said to me, and have made a king over you. And now, behold, the king walks before you, and I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? He's just talking about taking a bribe and blind, you know, where he wasn't imparting fair justice, you know, because bribes do that. They slant you to one side for gain. Uh... Blind my eyes with it. Testify against me, and I will restore it to you. They said, You have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, He is witness. So this is kind of an uh, official announcing of the beginning of the, of the king's reign, Saul's reign, and the monarchy in Israel. That's what this whole, uh, my heading says, Samuel's farewell address, but I don't know, I guess. Uh, it also marks the official end of the rule of the judges. This is it. The king's start now. Uh, Samuel closes his rule with a clear conscience. And I say his rule, his uh, being judge over Israel, he king. Uh, but he, he ends this with a, a clear conscience and a dependence from the people that he had done them no wrong. So there again, he's kind of wanting to make sure his hands are clean as this is uh, changing over, and that they realize you know, all this is happening because they've asked for it. All right, we're fixing to go into a section where Samuel reviews Israel's history, pointing out you know, that God's provided leadership, and the people's needs have always been met. I think... I'm going to skip on down to to verse 10 because he's basically going through the history of Egypt and Moses and all and all all of that. 
and it's interesting, but it's basically a reminder of God's always been there for you. You know, He has been your King. And, uh, just, just to remind them of that. Well, let's start in verse 10. After He reminds all the people of this, uh, it says, "And they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord, and have served the Bells and the Ashtaroth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies, that we may serve you." And this is still before now. This is what they realized after he you know, reviewed all this history. And the Lord sent Jerubal and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side and you lived in safety. Uh, and when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. Um, so there's that pattern of the people when they would repent God would send judges to deliver them from their enemies it was a, it was a pattern with them just trivia question Jerubal who is that we know him by another name Gideon yeah judges 7 just thought that was interesting but Jerubal is Gideon um, and just he points out again and he's done this several times God was their king um God was already their king. They were taken care of and had a king. He just wants to make sure they realize that. 13. And now behold the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked. Behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. So uh, basically you had to fear the Lord, serve the Lord, obey his voice. Don't rebel against him and his commandments because he'd be against you if you did. But it wasn't just the people, it was also the king. So the king had to do all this too. He's not above God. Um, so he's, he's letting them know right here, your king needs to do all this too. If he's not leading you in this way, uh, he'll, be, he'll be taken down too. So, and we know how that ends, I guess. All right, what verse am I at here? Verse 16, Now therefore stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. Uh, So this wheat harvest mentioned that it's talking about basically it's referencing a time of year where there really wasn't much rain there was little to no rain that fell so this is a supernatural event that happens here and and basically it's just uh, authenticating Samuel's words you know that what he spoke was truth Um, let's see and all the people said to Samuel pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die for we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart 
And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. So the people are responding to this supernatural event with, well, fear, first of all, but uh, they are recognizing their sinful motives in Astown. This, this has been brought up more than once, but uh, it's going to be hit home again here. So they're afraid again um, that God may strike them dead when they realize just how sinful they've been. Um, but their fear or respect for Samuel, however you want to say it, was because God was obviously working through him, and they're recognizing that. Um, but what, is, what does Samuel say to them? Don't be afraid. God's not about to kill you, but he does warn them to follow God. So kind of a message to us, too. Uh, then in verse 21, uh, this following after empty things that can't profit anything, it's most likely referring to idols. I guess it could be other things, but you know they talked about the Baals and the Ashtaroth and all that, uh, and they had begun to worship those in addition to God, which you can't do. Uh, so worthless and empty, I, I believe it's talking about the idol worship they had uh, started to do. All right, let's go verse 23. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord, by ceasing to pray for you, and I will, stru- will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wicked- wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Uh, so Samuel says, of course I'm not going to stop praying for you. Samuel's work's not done. He's just not the leader at this point. Uh, he's, he's still there and he still has a role. He's just not the judge anymore. Uh, and so he's like, it would be sinful if I stopped praying for you. Of course I'm going to keep praying for you. Uh, he's also going to continue to teach them. Uh, so he's not going away. Uh, they might have wondered though, you know, since he wasn't going to be the leader anymore, was Samuel just... Is he done with us? You know, is it just us and the king now? But uh, he, he assures them that that's not the case. But, of course, in 25, again, it says even the king would be swept away if they continue to live wickedly. So king's not uh, immune to this either. He has to walk, you know, in God's ways just like all the rest of the people. Um, one takeaway from all that, uh, it's just encouraging that even though we sin and we sometimes turn from God, um, we can be forgiven of what we've done and be right with God again. That, that's kind of what I take away with this. This is a lot of history and that kind of thing, but there's so much you can pull out of it that's not history, and that being one thing. That's something I, t- I took from that anyway. Uh, but again, we're also expected to turn away from sin and do what's right. So... You know, there is there is requirement on our part to, to act faithfully. Um, anything else about chapter 12? I was really going to stop with 12, but we've got... Um, let's just look at the first uh, verse of chapter 13. I'm not going to go past that. There was just something I found interesting, the first verse of chapter 13. There's a lot of little 
things in First Samuel I didn't realize about the manuscripts and stuff. But uh, 13 verse 1 depends on what version you're reading as to what verse 1 says. I've got the ESV in front of me, and it says Saul was dot, 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 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned dot, 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 and two years over Israel. I was like, oh, I don't remember ever seeing that before. And I look at uh, New King James Version, that same verse says, Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, and then it continues the verse. That's different. New Living Translation says, Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 42 years. Those are all very different. Uh, Apparently the original numbers hadn't really been preserved uh, in this text. It literally reads, Saul was one year old when he became king and ruled two years over Israel. Well, that's not, that's not right. <laughs> he obviously wasn't one year old, and uh, he ruled more for, than two years. Anybody know how long Acts tells us Saul reigned for? Because in Acts 13, it, 40, it says, it says he ruled for 40 years, is what Acts 13 says. Yeah. And of course, in the, you know, none of these numbers actually matter in the big picture. None of the futile things we found like this, none of them affect the meaning of any of it. It's it's just numbers most of the time. Um, but it, it's also interesting that most of the Septuagint manuscripts don't even have this verse. So. <laughs> um, Sometimes, though, you see that when they give a reigning or something like that. They're basically trying to say how old he was when he became king and how long he reigned. That's kind of what it feels like that should have been. Um, does anybody else have a different translation than New King James, ESV, or New Living? 32. 40 and 32. And, and that... 32. Yeah, which version is that? Because that, that, that's the fourth one. New American, okay. 30 years old, yeah, yeah. So, wow, now that is different. Do you know what that is? Chaldean Bible, okay. So, it's a little all over the place. Uh, doesn't really affect the meaning of anything. But I found that interesting, and it's just one of these things that, you know, you shouldn't let it shake you if you see that. It doesn't really affect God's Word at all. Um, but I found that interesting. As soon as I started into chapter 13, I was like, what in the world is that? <laughs> so, I'm not going to go any farther into that chapter because I want uh, Daryl to be able to pick up with 13 because uh, we've only got five minutes. So, Any other comments before we let out? Hey, yeah, Sean? 30 years old and 42 years, Josephus. From Josephus is where the 30 and 42... Modern English. Josephus is an interesting collection (laughs) of history. We just have to remember he's not inspired, but uh, he he does have an interesting insight that we wouldn't necessarily have. uh, You can get that unabridged Josephus book pretty cheap, probably 10 bucks or so. All right, any other comments before we let out? Uh, Yes? That's true. Yeah. 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 
Okay, yeah, that is a good point. All right, well, we're out about three minutes early, so kids probably aren't ready for you yet, but (laughs) thanks for your attention. I appreciate it.